morning, beloveds. If you will turn in your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 6. It's such an exciting time of year. Um, I'm, I'm full of so much anticipation and everything else. Um, all the, the gift giving and everything is so exciting. Um, kind of, I feel like it's fully in, in that Christmas season mode. We had our, um, our annual deacons and elders and spouses party um, this past Friday, and we had a, a wonderful time. I'm not going to call anybody out, but you should look around for a couple of people who have new tattoos from that party, just saying. Um, but it was a good time. But um, as, as we enter into this season, you know, the, the Prince of Peace has come, and, and it's like something that we really long for is peace. And it's something that this world has not known much of, you know? Um, actually, in 2003, so a bit dated now, but it's only gotten worse, um, a journalist named Chris Hedges reviewed 3,400 years of human history to find out how much time has been collectively spent at peace. And so this is peace qualified as no active conflict having claimed at least 1,000 lives. So peace, looking at peace in humanity across 3,400 years, when was there a year when there was no conflict that took at least 1,000 lives? That's a pretty large-scale conflict. He found only 238 war-free years of that entire time. That means approximately 92% of human history that was reviewed was marked by active war, resulting in 1,000 or more people losing their lives in a year. And that's just tragic to think that we are so filled with strife um, on the personal level, but then even on a national, global level. Um, so we've been exploring this book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote a couple thousand years ago to the church in Ephesus. And so as we've been going through that, we've been exploring in the recent weeks this theme of walking wisely, this call to walk wisely and in the spirit, in light of the gospel that God has saved you by grace through faith. You could not do that. This is a gift from God. So you cannot brag about it. You receive that in faith. And so if that is true, that God has become our salvation through the death, the atoning death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross and then his resurrection so we could have life forevermore with him, then because of that gospel of grace, we should live differently. And so we've been looking at how we live differently, walking wisely in the spirit for weeks now. Largely, it looks like humility. It looks like submission. It looks like obedience in varied relationships. It's allowing this gospel of grace to be the defining thing in our relationships. But now we have to ask, is there a time to fight though? Like so much of this letter has been calling us to grace and unity and peace, like come together and all this stuff. But then we have to ask, but, but is there a time to fight? And that's what we need to talk about today, this time to fight. So Ephesians chapter six, look at verse 10 with me. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Finally. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Finally is this word here. It's a transitional word. He's telling us now, like type A per, type of people that, that really need to know where we're at in something. He's like, I'm winding it down. The plane has been circling. We're like, okay, we get it. Now he's landing the plane. Finally, this is the conclusion. He's winding it down. Finally marks a new section, Paul's conclusion to the letter. And he's saying, be strengthened in the Lord. And so we have to ask, where does our strength come from? And he says explicitly, it comes from the Lord. Your strength comes from the Lord. It is his strength that becomes our strength. This is so beautifully tied to the gospel. This emphasis he's made throughout this letter that it's our union with Christ that brings about salvation. 
It's because we are one with him. And so we are baptized in his death and baptized rising up to newness of life like him as he came out of the tomb. And so we do this, we picture this, we signify this in our baptism, that we go under the water like Jesus died and was buried and we come out of the water to say, I too have risen to life with him, like he came out of the tomb. And so this newness of life is signified in this. It's us being with him in his death, with him in his resurrection, with him in his life, that we are united to him, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God because we have a brother who invited us in, who made the way, who paid the debt that we could not pay. And so tied to the gospel, and now I want to pause here for a moment. I want to ask you a question. I want you to actually think about it. Where have you been looking for strength? And whatever is going on in your life that requires strength, and you know you need strength, where have you been looking for that strength? Are you looking inside like, I'll white knuckle it. I gotta, I gotta get this together. Pull yourself together, Kevin. Is it, is it, I'm looking for strength from the people around me who, and that's not always bad. Please understand that. But you need to ask the question. You need to answer the question. Where are you looking for strength? And what is the scripture saying to do? You find your strength in the Lord. He is our strength. You find your strength in the Lord. And maybe you've been failing at acquiring the strength that you know that you need so much that now you're no longer looking for strength. Instead, you're looking for an escape. Because I know that's my habit. If I can't muster up the strength, if I can't find the strength, then I just want to escape. Start engaging in behaviors where just just keep scrolling or keep doing whatever just to avoid whatever you know. You actually, you need strength for that. So have you laid down on something that you should stand up and fight with? But where does your strength come from? It comes from the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. And now he continues verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Paul writes this from prison. We need to remember that. Paul is literally in prison because of the gospel. He's in prison while writing this. He's looking visually. He can see Roman soldiers who are keeping guard. He has these Roman soldiers wearing their armor, keeping guard over him to make sure he does not escape. And he writes this. He says he knows, despite seeing this physical reality around him, he knows the fight is not against the physical. He knows it's not against the physical. It's not what he just sees around him. It's against the spiritual. It's what we don't necessarily see. We might see the effects of it. In fact, we do a lot. But it's what we can't see that is where the real fight is. And so that requires a spiritual armor. It's not a physical armor that we need to put on. It's a spiritual armor that we need to put on. He's saying, put the armor on because, Christian, you have a target on you. Do you know that? Son of God, daughter of God, follower of Jesus, do you know that you have a target on you and there's a very real enemy who would love to destroy you. There's a target on you. Are you ready to stand? Do you have armor that will help you to stand on the day when that attack comes? And that attack comes most days, right? 
Are you ready to stand? Put the armor on. See that the fight is real. But here's the thing, please. We have got culturally, I'm not speaking just to our church, but culturally we have got to stop thinking that the fight is with each other. We have to stop thinking that the fight is in changing politics, the fight is in this or that or this. And like, no, those things are important. But the real fight is not what you see with your eyes. The real fight is what's happening in the heavenlies. There are real angels and there are real demons and they're at war. And we are part of this. And you have a real role to play in this. And so put on armor to be ready for this fight because the fight is real and now is the time to fight. But you fight in the strength of the Lord. So stop wasting energy on the wrong fight. Let's fight the fight that actually matters. So if we could summarize this, verse 10, he's saying this is the what. The what is be strengthened in the Lord. And then verse 11, this is the how. How can I be strengthened in the Lord? Put on the armor of God to stand against schemes. So it's the strength of the Lord and the armor of who? The armor of God. So who owns it? Who owns the strength? God. Who owns the armor? God. It is his. And yet it is ours for the taking. So we put it on. And then verse 12 is the why. Because the battle is spiritual. As much as we may be convinced in moments that the fight is with my wife, the fight is with my boss, the fight is with my son, the fight is with whatever it may be, you know, the real fight is spiritual. And we need spiritual armor for that fight. But we need to recognize the gravity and the danger in this. Um, this is something in our postmodern, like very highly enlightened, um, like scientific reasoning minds, we don't, we don't like to think much about the spiritual, that if I can't put it into the, into the scientific process, it's hard for my brain to be wrapped around it or accept it even. But it's such a real thing. As we accept that this is real, that spiritual warfare is real, we also need to come in with humility. To so know, apart from God's strength, apart from God's armor, I stand no chance, and neither do you. There are spiritual beings that are so much more powerful than us. Um, Michael, the archangel, he actually said it like this. This is what Jude wrote in Jude uh, verse 9. He says, Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, I know that's weird, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. That who seems to be the head of God's angel armies? Michael, even he, in competition, in fighting with the devil, would not take it upon himself to rebuke him personally, but to say, the Lord rebuke you. That he knew real power is in God, not in ourselves. And so we come to this with humility, acknowledging there is an ongoing tension of the physical and the spiritual. They are heavily overlapped, way more than we want to admit. But where we fight is with what is spiritual. The fight is spiritual. So, let's keep going. Verse 14. This is what it's going to look like. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So what does this armor look like, the armor of God that we're to, to take up and, and find this strength here? And this is what it looks like. It's going back to being strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. His strength looks like truth, like a belt around your waist. Uh, we wear belts sometimes just because it's fashionable, um, but largely because it's functional. That They literally hold your pants up. They keep a form, if you will. 
There's, there's, a, there's a reason you take up the belt. And he's saying the belt is truth. Truth tied around your waist. Um, in, in this ancient context, the Roman soldiers, um, we often like to think of like medieval knights and their armor. This is not what they had. Think more like the Spartans and things like that if you've seen those types of movies. Um, but this, this belt of truth, this belt on a Roman soldier would be largely a leather belt that would come around. Lots of times there would be leather thongs that would cover lots of, of just your thigh section to protect you so that hopefully a sword or whatever would not cut through as easily. Um, but largely it was functional and that the, the fashion of the day was robes. And so if you're going to get into a fight and you're wearing a robe, probably not going to go well for you. You need to be able to move. And so the belt would functionally take the robe and tuck it in. So now you have a place to fasten your robe. So now you're more agile. You can move around. That's meant you're ready to move now in truth. It's also what you would attach different things like weapons to. So if you're going to have a scabbard for your sword, it's going on your belt. If you're going to attach various things that you might need in a moment of battle or recovery, you would attach it to the belt. And so the beauty of this is truth is what is going to help you to be able to move. Truth is what you are going to build everything else on. If you have no truth, what do you fasten anything to? And so if you want to be able to navigate this life, this fight, you need truth. God's objective truth is what gives us true freedom to move. It's what gives us a secure point to affix everything to, to build our lives on his real truth. So in a day and age where truth is so relative culturally, that there is a real truth that is not just subjective, it is not relative, it is God's truth. And we must affix everything to that. We must find our freedom in that, his truth. This is the truth that we put on like a belt around our waist. And then righteousness, like armor on your chest to protect, to protect your vital organs. This righteousness, like armor on your chest. The gospel is that you have been declared righteous, having no righteousness of your own, but being given the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. That Jesus exchanged our sin, our guilt, for his righteousness on the cross. So he would bear the wrath he would pay the price for our sin and he would give us his righteousness so we would have a right standing before the Father. And so we have been given this righteousness and he's like, this righteousness, now like armor on your chest, this righteousness, again, that is not our own, it is God's. And if he gives it to us, we wear it. Having been declared righteous, we've received this righteousness and now we live in righteousness. So you want to protect your vital organs Live in righteousness because you have been declared righteous. Now live in it. Live in righteousness. Let that protect your heart from the enemy. And then feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Proper footwear is essential for battle. Without proper footwear, you cannot stand your ground. You will shift, you will slip. The gospel is what we must be grounded in, this gospel of peace. Be grounded in that, making us ready to stand against the push of evil and then move efficiently where you're called to. They were ready to go. Um, and, and in the ancient times, um, Isaiah has this beautiful prophecy about how beautiful are the feet who, of those who bring good news. And the idea is you could actually watch the way that a runner would come into a city and you'd know if it's going to be good news or bad news. Because the runner is coming to tell you if the battle has been won or lost. And based on the way they're running, you'd know he's not looking forward to this. He's got bad news. Or oh, how beautiful. They're swift, kicking up a cloud of dust. He's excited to tell us the good news. 
And it is good news. And so this gospel of peace, there is now peace. And so you wear that as your footwear so that you can stand your ground and so that you can move as needed. And take up the shield of faith. Faith is the defense that will keep the attacks from even getting to your other defenses. That before you need the belt of truth and the, and the leather that's hanging there to protect or the breastplate of righteousness, before the attack can even get there, you hold out the shield of faith. That in faith, you can withstand the attack. It extinguishes all the flaming arrows, which is so beautiful to see. It. Like, he's like, Satan, the enemy, he doesn't just want to kill you. He wants to hurt you a lot. Like, it's not just arrows to pierce your organs and make you bleed out. There's fire involved. He wants this to hurt. He wants to create as much havoc, create this calamity as much as possible. And yet it is our faith that we hold on as a shield that will stop the attack, but then extinguish these flaming arrows. The power of faith is not in faith itself, but in the object of your faith. So if you see the power of what the object of our faith is, God himself, then your faith is that much stronger because they're tied together. And so that shield of faith, the power of God, giving us faith and then guarding us. Uh, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. A soldier in this time, a helmet would be heavy, headaches, neck aches, it's uncomfortable. You let a lot of heat out through your head. So you put the helmet on and you know you're not going to be comfortable. And the sword, man, like it should stay at your side. It's heavy. It's going to tire you out. If you put the helmet on too early, you take the sword out too early, you're wearing yourself out and you're actually putting yourself at a disadvantage for when the real fight comes. And yet he's saying, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Have it ready. He's saying, this is urgent. The time to fight is now. Be ready. The salvation that gives us confidence, securing our head, the sword that is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned here. Everything else is about defense. But now the sword of the spirit, which is, he says, the word of God is your only offense. The only thing that you fight with is the word of God itself. Again, where does our strength come from? From the Lord. We fight evil with the word of God like Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness and would respond correctly with scripture. Not manipulation of scripture, but correctly with scripture. That is the sword that we fight with. That's our only offense. And then verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. As Sean Connery famously taught us, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. That's what he's saying here. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We fight in the Lord's strength. You want the Lord's strength? You want his help? You seek it. And how do we seek it? In prayer. You ask for it. Uh, John Piper talks about how prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie. It's how you get in touch with command to say, this is where I need to strike. I need reinforcements. This is how we request his help. We fight in the Lord's strength. We seek his help. Anybody like MMA, boxing, any of those things? Any kind of fighting? If you've spent any time watching that, like it's fascinating to see different fighters come with different theories 
They have a fighting style. Each of them fully convinced this is the best fighting style. And so I'm going to win over my opponent because of my fighting style. Some of them are really interesting to watch. Some of them try to keep it really simple and some of them make it really complex. Um, But you know what a surefire way to win a fight is? When in that fight, someone else infinitely stronger can step in and fight for you. And that's what we have. Say, I'm here, (laughs) ready to go, but I've got nothing. So I'm just going to call on the one who has all power. What does the enemy have now? Nothing. Prayer is essential for this fight. We must be a praying people. And it's at all times. And he says to stay alert with all perseverance, meaning this is ongoing. There's an urgency to it. And it's back to where we started with this idea of be strengthened or put on the armor of God. Do you understand what it's saying when it says be strengthened? This is an active ongoing thing or put on the armor of God. That means there is strength there for us to take. So will we take it? Take that strength that is given to us from our Lord. And there's armor there, but armor that is not put on does absolutely no good for us. Put the armor on. Make this an everyday practice. What does it look like every day to put on this armor? And that's for all the saints. We're praying We're making intercession, petition for all the saints. It's collective. And so he's tying this back into this constant theme throughout this letter of unity, that we must have unity. Uh, Richard Foster beautifully said it like this. He said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. If we genuinely love each other, we will want so much more for each other than what we can give. So naturally, we will look to the one who can give more than we can. We will pray for each other. In this fight, we must pray for each other. So pray continually for each other. There's this this vertical and then this horizontal awareness that Paul is calling us to. Your strength comes from God. But as God gives you strength, you must also see your brother and sister and pray for them on their behalf. That we're all engaged in this together. Um, this, This past week, Courtney and I were gifted a, a, st- a streaming ticket to watch this Advent concert. And it was just so beautifully done. She fell asleep. I cannot believe her. But it was so good. We've got all these artists up on stage and, and they're doing all this stuff. And like, I know it's good when I'm, I'm not a musician, but I know enough to just kind of like be like scared for them. Where they're doing such intricate things together in harmony. We're like, I'm on the seat of my pants. Like, ah, like, oh, you're so close to messing that up, but it's so beautiful because you pulled it off. And they didn't mess up one time that I caught. Not one time did they mess up that I caught. Josh is laughing because like they all mess up. <laughs> but it was so good. And you, I'm, I'm just enthralled with this. I'm enraptured with this, watching this beautiful performance as they're into it. Like they're, they're there together, instruments side by side, and they're just going to town. And it's so easy to look at that and think, like they're just caught up in the moment. They're just playing for the crowd. They're not playing for the crowd. I can promise you that. Because playing for the crowd is going to lead to failure. They can enjoy that in that moment, just like blues artists can enjoy our jazz artists. They can enjoy that moment where it looks like they're so free because they're actually so tethered to the music. They know it. They're so in sync with each other. They're so attuned to what they know the music is and how they're going to do this together that it looks now like freedom. 
but it's because they're aligned with the right thing. There is an authority over that. And so we together will look like such a beautifully united church when we all together say, well, there is one authority. It is God himself. And then we learn to play together in such a way that the world looks at us and says, that's amazing. Look how beautiful that is. We all must look to the Lord. He's the one conducting this. So, 19. Pray also for me. It gets so personal. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Like, what? What courage. What faith that Paul would say, here I am, literally in chains. I've got these guards around me. I'm going to make use of them. Like he wears that breastplate. Like he has that helmet, that sword, that shield. And this is what I want for you. For you to be armored like this. Now pray for everybody. Pray for me. That even here, as, as I can hardly write, I'm literally chained. Would you pray that I would preach the gospel all the more? Pray for boldness. That's so beautiful. Paul's aim is clearly gospel proclamation. He wants the world to know the gospel. He wants the world to know that there's a God who loves us. There's a God offering forgiveness. There's a God who comes to us in grace and says, I love you. I love you and you're mine. You turn from your sin, confess him to be Lord, believe in your heart that Christ died, but he was raised. This is our salvation. This is the good news that God loves us. And let's be like Paul to say, even if it means I stay chained up, would you pray that I can just preach this even more? Captive audience, they can't go anywhere because they've got to guard me. Hey, do you know my king? His name is Jesus. It's not Caesar. Would we be like that? Bottom line, remember the gospel. Stand by the gospel and advance the gospel. Remember the gospel, stand by the gospel, and advance the gospel. This is how we engage in spiritual warfare, and there's so much more this. There's so much more to this, but this is what we must stand on. Is everything about this, how we fight, strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, the gospel. It's this armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, which are namely deception and accusation. The gospel, and we have a right standing with God. This is our struggle. This is how we engage in spiritual warfare that he has fought for us and he is fighting for us. He has already won. We stand with truth like a belt around our waist, righteousness like armor on our chest, and our feet sandaled with readiness to the gospel of peace. Shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. It's ours. This is the good news that God has given us life. And it cost him his life as he died for us, but then he rose again victorious over it all. I'm going to close this letter today. Will you read the final words of this, starting in verse 21? Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Do you see how this is rooted in history? He's sending a friend that they would trust to say, he'll let you know how I'm really doing. If you have any questions, he knows. But I want him to encourage your hearts. 
and peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is rooted in real history. An actual church would receive this. Penned by Paul, or whoever wrote it for him as he dictated it. And yet they actually would sit there in a gathering like this and hear this letter read to them. I think, I knew that guy. He was here for a couple years. He helped plant this church. And I know how much he loves us. And to hear him unpack the gospel and to remind us of how much our God loves us and how you can't even know the unknowable love of God, but I'm praying that you would know it. And the lofty heights of this. And I say, because of the beauty of that gospel, now this is what you should live like. This is how it's going to redefine your relationships. So that all the racism has no place. All the weird way that we try to live over each other. No, 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 just love each other. So see how loved you are by God and now love each other and be ready to fight because this is going to be a struggle. There's going to be a fight here. It starts with the gospel, transitions to how we live out of the gospel and then it comes to this idea that it's going to be a fight, guys. This is going to be hard. Beloved, it is hard. But let us love one another. Let us love one another. There's another letter that I want to read in conclusion that was actually written to the church in Ephesus. We know at least one. It's also recorded in Scripture. If you'd like to turn there, this is in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, John the Apostle is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled. He's in labor camp, essentially. And on the Lord's Day, he's still keeping track, by the way, which I find so beautiful, that it meant so much to him that he would still mark the Lord's Day and something special about that. It says he was in the Spirit, and in the Spirit he has this revelation, this vision that comes from Jesus. And after he sees Jesus, Jesus tells him to write these letters to seven churches. This is the letter that's written to Ephesus, at the start of chapter 2. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Same church. Some years later, another letter from God being sent by one of his apostles. And this time it's, hey guys, I love that you care about doctrine. Your theology is spot on. You're doing great with that. You call out the liars. That's good. Hold to that truth. I'm so, I'm proud of the way that you're enduring when things are hard. You're even suffering for my name. You're doing great with that. 
But here's the thing. You forgot me. And I mean that as in you forgot me personally, relationally. You forgot how much you love me. Not just right doctrine. Not just right behavior. But me. You forgot how much I love you and how much you love me. And you hold these two letters together. As Ephesus receives one letter from Paul that ends with grace to those who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And then some years later, they get another letter where Jesus says, you forgot your love for me. Can we hear that as a real warning, as a reminder, this is how we fight. To remember how loved we are by God. To see his love for us because the book of Ephesians is so beautiful and it's, you are so loved by God. You're so loved by God. Now love each other. And it's not until the very last sentence of the letter that he says, and you love God. But this is how it works. That we see the love of God for us and then now in an overflow, we love each other because we love him. But it's all tied together. If you want to fight, you want to stand, you want to put on the armor of God, remember the gospel, and the gospel is the good news that God loves you. He loves you. Don't forget your first love. So repent. Remember this love and love him in response. Skeptic, seeker, stumbling, or doubting saint, will you believe this good news? There's a God who loves you like this. And follower of Jesus, who do you need to share this good news with? Let's do that. As I pray, I pray a little different than usual. I'd ask you to join me in this. Um, some months ago when we first started this series, as I was studying in anticipation of this and just things going on in my life, um, reading the letter in Re- Revelation 2 to Ephesus, Um, just struck me so much. And so I wrote a poem that I would like to read as a confession and a prayer. And so will you close your eyes? Fantastic doctrine and a faltering flame. I loved being right over love for your name. Remember breathtaking views beheld on high, a descent so gradual because only motion catches my eye. Insatiable hunger, I consume whatever I may. Conquer, and from your tree I'll eat, you say. You gave me ears so that I can hear. You're walking with us, always near. So hungry I come to feast on you, Lord. You say I can have you, and still there is more. But it's only you, only you. Jesus, my first love, all I need is you.